442 Insider, brought to you in association with Rebel Sport, your football destination. Hello and welcome to the 442 Insider Podcast, where we take you behind the scenes at the world's greatest football magazine. Today's a very special podcast, not just because we have Aidan Ormond in and uh, publisher Andy Jackson, but we also have the best person to ever do work experience at 442. (laughs) And also she just happens to be a very brand new Women's Asian Cup champion, Sally Shippard, with the trophy. We are sitting with the trophy. How's it feel? Asian champion. (laughs) We bow down. We bow down to you and uh, all your teammates. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Um, It honestly hasn't sunk in yet. I think we're all still in a bit of um, shock at the moment. But yeah, it's been an incredible journey. Yeah, and we have the trophy here. That is the real trophy? Um, as far as I know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Looks it's heavy. We've bit it, it's not made of chocolate. No, so, it's um, definitely not. It's a pretty impressive piece of uh, steel, to be honest. And but, um, do you put, like, have you put like champagne and stuff in it and drunk out? Is that the kind of uh, etiquette when you win a trophy like that? Uh, from memory, that did happen. Um, obviously... You know, the frivolities that we enjoyed on, on the night following were pretty intense. And, yeah. um, so tell us about those. That's what we want to know. <laughs> we want to know about the game, but we want to know, how did you girls celebrate? Um, in style. Yeah. <laughs> and towards the end of the night, lack of. Um, no, it was an incredible night. Uh, obviously, we were so buggered, considering we'd played 120 minutes of football. Yeah, and yeah. Then, um, the penalties afterwards. It was a draining process, but all in all, it was a yeah. It was a it was a it was a great night, and topped off with a lot of dancing and boogieing. <laughs> sounds, sounds good. Sounds good. Now, obviously, you said the game uh, pretty intense mm. for more uh, intents and purposes, and obviously the crazy weather didn't help. What's the looking back now with a few days to to look back? Um, what's the overriding memory of the of the game for you? For me, it would be Tommy's advice just before extra time. He he had us together and he goes, um, he has all these sort of little snippets that stick in my mind and there's, there's two in particular. Um, before we went out for the extra time, he said to us all that there was absolutely no point in holding on. We, we can dominate the play out there and, you know, all weather aside, um, we've, we can really sort of, you know, make a difference and... And, yeah, exactly that, dominate the play. And I guess um, with the Japan game and, and nearing the end of the North Korean game in the final, we were, we were, we were holding on and it didn't have to be that way. Mm. We would get the ball and just, you know, kick the crap out of it, basically. <laughs> um, and, and to hear that from Tommy, for, the, for that 30 minutes we tried to play and, again, the weather was shocking. But um, all that aside, I think uh, Tommy's... You know substitutions in that he brought Carly Ledbrook on, who who settled the game down so much. He's um, just you know all full credit to to that bloke. He's incredible. And um, the the second thing around, just before we went out for the finals, he goes, um, "All right, just go out there and score and get this over and done with, so I can 
you know, it was it was something smart alecky like so I can go home or something lighthearted <laughs> like that. And you're kind of like, how can you say that as a head coach of the Australian <laughs> yeah. national team? Yeah, just to break the tension <laughs> and relax you. Yeah. Yeah. So isn't he the same coach who said, I want to get home to watch Deal or No Deal in the last penalty shootout? Yeah, um, definitely something along those lines. That <laughs> <laughs> takes the pressure off, I guess. It certainly does, and I guess that what's make that that's what makes a good coach, I suppose. And Tommy's a very unique guy like that. Mm. Certainly, sporting a unique hairstyle. Well, <laughs> yeah. who, who actually did that? Who, who had the honours of dyeing it? Um, Sarah Walsh, the girl that actually made the um, the arrangement six months ago, and um, Melissa Barbieri. So, what was the bet? If you got to the final six months ago, Tommy agreed to shave his mo if we qualified for the World Cup and dye his hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think Alice and his wife was very happy. <laughs> nice, nice. Speaking of hair, Sally, when I saw you at the airport the other day, you were just talking about how the Asian fans were obsessed by your hair. Yeah. Just talk us through the hair situation here. Um. Because uh, we have a lovely shot of your hair at the airport on our website, au.442.com. <laughs> cool. Um, the hair situation, probably lack of care. And um, yeah, I just I cut it short when I first quit football, which was about, I don't know, two years ago now. And it just hasn't grown back and I haven't let it. And yeah, I just... A bit like me. Keep, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, we've all got the same attitude, right? <laughs> so uh, the, the last time I saw you was down in Canberra when I was doing my coaching badge for the AIS. Yeah. You just left. Yeah. You were going to go to Europe. I mean, what... You know, and genuinely, at the time, you were sort of, this is it, I'm, I've had it, you know, I'm just not bothered. What what changed while you were away and to come back, to go from that, that where you were then to now, starting um, in the final of the Asian Cup, winning the <laughs> tournament... Yeah, it's such a contrast as to how I was living this time last year. Um, but what changed? The, the the moment in my life that actually really did sort of trigger football as being my passion was um, I attended a match in Barcelona. They played Manchester City at Camp Nou yeah. in um, Barcelona and that was such a life-changing experience for me. And that was recently when you were a little bit wavering about whether you wanted to do it. Yep, towards the end of my trip in, in Europe. Cool. That was, and if, my shiver, if the shivers that I had were anything to go by, that was the moment when I was, you know, kind of rediscovering my passion for football. Yeah, reignited. So you're back yeah. for good now? Um, back to football for good? Look, I um, certainly won't rule anything out and, you know, as long as I love the game, I'll hang around and um, mm-hmm. at the moment I'm, yeah, pretty um, pretty set. So. Yeah. In the Matildas, of course, there's, there's a 16-year-old and an 18-year-old, Kaya Simon and Tegan Allen. What a perfect person to talk to for experience of being in where they were, where you were the next big thing at 16 and... Do you speak to them at all about that? Yeah, I help them out with their schoolwork. Because <laughs> <laughs> I feel so sorry for them. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I try and hang out with, with both Sammy and Tegan and obviously Kai is quite young as mm. well. And I don't know, I, I, I guess I've just got that, um, that part of me that has experienced that as a 16-year-old and I guess I can relate to them more so than... Than, than anybody else but um, yeah we, 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 all, we all look out for the younger girls and, mm. and I guess it's always difficult when you're not so experienced coming away with, with the team and I mean when you're away for a month 
it's a it's a huge amount of time mm. you know being in the same environment as mm. everybody else and whatnot so mm. um yeah we all we all sort of got through it in the end and obviously having sammy and tegan and all the young ones there they they sort of keep you young and they mm. sort of don't make life as serious as you think it is and yeah they're refreshing to have around and sammy kerr um we were just talking about her the other week what a player yeah she's she's incredible every time she gets the ball she's so exciting to sort of have on your team and um tommy kind of used her off the bench throughout the tournament and obviously having started the the final she did such a fantastic job Mm. and i was on the bench for a um for a backflip? Yeah, the backflip. Yes. Oh my gosh, we've never laughed so much during a match. <laughs> <laughs> it was the funniest thing I've ever seen. Yeah, you were cracking up on the bench. <laughs> the, thing, the thing I loved about it was like, you know, at 16, she's coming in, dropping the shoulder into people. Ref was giving a free kick, she'd turn around. Oh, yeah. it. She's got such an attitude. Yeah, yeah that's what right. I mean, isn't it? Well, at 16 to bring that sort of attitude mm, into yeah. sport. Yeah. Oh, and what advice would you give them? I mean, they, you were in that same situation. You were touted as being the next big thing. You know, what would you say to them? Just to, like, if I could... If I could You're not give, that old, Sally. Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> Six years ago, gosh. If I, could, if I could look back at the 16-year-old self as, as me, I would say... Um, I, I, for me personally, my the past six years, I would never ever change in that you know I have taken my break and I've stepped away. But but when I was a sixteen year old, it would be just that balance that you need. And I'm I'm sure to this day that I probably lost too much. I, I lost touch with reality, and mm. I became too engrossed by my football world. And um, for the girls to have school, for the girls to have friends away from football, I think that's the most important thing. Mm. And Obviously, with women's football, I mean, we do get paid, but it's not a li- we don't get paid to sort of live and and whatnot. So you've just got to have that balance, and that was that would be one thing that I'd highlight with the girls. Mm. That's great. Mm. Now, one thing I wanted to ask you, going back to the to the final for one last question yep. before we go to the break. Don't get a chance to ask this very often, but tell us what goes through your head when you have to take a penalty <laughs> in a final and the penalty sheet when you found out you know obviously you would have found out you were one of the five to take the to take the kick did you put your hand up for that did you say you wanted it or did Tommy Tommy pick you um I was confident right from the get-go that I'd take a penalty yeah and I said to Tommy that I'd be the first person um and didn't hesitate right from mm-hmm. you know the start but um, is it a long walk to the spa, and do you oh. hear the noise? Do you hear the noise of the crowd, or is it completely silent? Or how, how's it go? I will tell you exactly what went through my head. I, well, again, Tommy's wise words were, um, you know, have that confidence about you. Walk with you, you know, your shoulders back and your head held high and whatever, and just sort of have that presence. So. I I left the girls and I was walking and I was trying to walk on my toes, you know, that confident kind of strut. <laughs> <laughs> and I was cramping. Oh, really? Each time, I've never been so fatigued after a match and each time I'd sort of try and step up on my toes, I felt like my hammies were giving way and my calves were just gone. Um, and... Right, you know, I wanted to hit it bottom right, and so that was sort of going through my mind. And you just don't want to second guess yourself in that kind of situation. And so I suppose bottom right was going through my head, you know, looking confident, feeling confident, bottom right again, and you're just sort of reminding yourself. And 
I put the ball down and stretched my hammies and I was feeling it. And my boots, our, all of our boots were weighed down like lead. Mm. It was such a heavy pitch. And, you know, it had rained for 45 minutes nonstop. And I actually wasn't convinced that I'd be able to swing through the ball. Mm. But um, I guess in that our boots were so heavy, I suppose we all had that little bit extra power yeah. behind yeah, our exactly. shot. <laughs> That's great stuff. Well, look, it's all we've got time for in this segment. But we'll, we'll package uh, that up and send it to the English FA yes. for, uh, <laughs> for the World Cup approach. This is how to do it. But um, we'll, we'll come back and ask you a few more questions in, in the next segment. But thank you very much for some great insight on that one. And uh, we'll uh, join us after the break for some more of Sally Shippard. The countdown to the 2010 World Cup has begun. So now's the time to start showing support for your team. Kit yourself out in all the latest Socceroos gear from Rebel Sport and get ready for the action to begin. We've got men's and kids away jerseys, shorts, jackets, scarves and wristbands. Socceroos, aren't your team? Rebel Sport's got you covered. We've got gear from all your favourite international soccer teams including England, Italy, Brazil and a stack more. Get into Rebel Sport today or shop online at rebelsport.com.au and show your pride on the pitch this season. It's about time. Time to catch up with my world and everyone in it. Time to salute Saturday night's party heroes and party zeros. Time to check if Chris needs a keeper for tomorrow's game. Time to see what the coach has planned for Sunday and who's going to be there. It's all about not wasting one drop of precious time. Time to stay in control. See your entire social universe from a single screen with Timescape. Only on the new Xperia X10 from Sony Ericsson. The 442 Insider, brought to you in association with Rebel Sport, your football destination. Hello and welcome back to the 442 Insider podcast, special edition, joined by uh, Matilda and Asian champion Sally Shippard, who's been (laughs) filling us all in on the um, fantastic events of the um, Asian Cup. And, um, yeah, we've got a few more questions for you. Doing, uh, doing really well, and we've been enjoying it so far. Tell us, um, looking at the bigger picture now, what do you think this victory means to, to women's football in this country? Um, already the sport's, you know, taking off on an enormous level, and I think the Matilda's success is only going to in, increase that and I, I can't see football in this country slowing down anytime soon in that, you know, hopefully the soccer is over in South Africa have a, have a successful tournament and I guess, um, yeah, the Matildas' success is, you know, hopefully going to do wonders for the sport. And the pressure's on the boys now. You've come back with some <laughs> silverware, you know. Yeah, apparently a, um, a space in the cabinet at the FFA has been sort of spared and we all sort of joked around when... Ben sent that message to us in that, um, you know, what they'd probably have to build a cabinet in order, be, <laughs> yeah. in order for that to happen. <laughs> so I guess it's only, you know, it's only going up from here. And, so yeah. tell us a little bit about your life and how football fits into it. Obviously, we touched on it a little bit earlier on and um, about the kind of giving up the game and coming back and your passion being reignited. Does that make you a, a, a better person, a better player, because you, you had the strength to step away and then come back, you know, as compared to some people who kind of just maybe soldier on and, and, and don't feel right in the head or, or things like that? Um, there are so many things that I could say to that question. Um, but I'll, for today, I'll stick with something along the lines of 
I'm very glad that I've had that I've had the opportunity to step away and that I listened to myself and you know I wasn't enjoying it and forever I've said to myself that if I wasn't enjoying it I'd step away straight away. Um, so in turn I did and I've chatted to some of the other girls and and they've just envied the you know the opportunity that I that I did you know give myself in in that I was able to travel with without boots and. And just experience life without football, and I think that's the best thing that I've ever done. And I've come back much healthier. And mm. um, yeah, I, I I've never enjoyed football this much. That's great. You talk. We talked brief in the first segment. We were talking about pay, and obviously, if there was ever a stark difference between the men's game and the women's <laughs> game, it'd be, it'd be what you get paid for it. Now, there was a new deal put in place by the FFA last year, wasn't there? So what, just to give people an idea of yep. the difference between yep. the women's game and the men's game, um, I mean, what, what, was the, what were the details of that deal? Um, the old, a lot of the older girls have done a lot of work in that they've chatted endless hours with the FFA and the PFA, and they've sorted out there's this sort of contract system for us now so um our contracts will last for six months um you know and then they'll sort of be reassessed and there's three tiers um and i mean it's it's money which is fantastic and it's something consistent which we all love but i suppose as a speaking as a uni student you can get away with studying at uni and survive but I'm like, for instance, planning on moving to Sydney within the next couple of months and I'll need an extra job. But I mean, it's it's women's sport as well. So you've mm. got to sort of keep reminding yourself. But um, a couple of the older girls get away with sort of working full working full time as a as a footballer in Europe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you can earn a living from it, but it, it, it doesn't set you up for life, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So the US had just relaunched their women's league a couple of years ago, didn't they? But they, I think they're having issues, aren't they, already? One of the teams Yeah, teams are folding mm-hmm. left, right and centre. And, um, I mean, we have a couple of girls involved in that league and they they manage to, to you know, live and breathe football. But, I don't know, I guess it sort of gives you that sort of you, you're forced into having something else in your life and I think that's quite healthy yeah the W League would have would have helped obviously that you, you you've probably got to tip your hat to to the W League for being um, a factor in you guys walking home with the trophy um, how how has that helped uh, you know the the league and the infrastructure um, you mean the success of yeah, just just how having uh, you know your own league now and, and, and being able to play has that has that helped you? Have you noticed the standard of the players rise or um... Um, on a personal note, it hasn't helped me because I haven't been able to play yet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, across the board, I think it's a fantastic foundation for the girls to to sort of play and you know experience week in week out football because it's been you know five five years or so in that there's been a national league in Australia and I think the girls have just really sort of thrived on, on the idea of playing week in, week out and, you know, training with a, with a squad on a permanent basis. And, um, I, the, I mean, if we keep getting players from overseas and we've had numerous sort of European and American girls over and, you know, I think if that sort of keeps sort of happening, then, then the league will be fantastic for, you know, number one, the development of the game in Australia and 
number two, I suppose, the, um, you know, just putting the name out there. Mm. Yeah. Aiden, you were going to... No, I was just going to ask, uh, you were talking about Canberra United before. You can just give us a, an outline of who you're going to play for and why next season. Um... Like I mentioned before, I haven't actually played in the W League yet in that I flew home from Spain last year and had some difficulty with a um, a contract that didn't exist, but um, we won't get into that. Um, so Canberra stood by me last year in anticipation that the so-called contract would be cleared and I'd be able to play. And So I, I, I feel somewhat obliged and and I, I want to be playing for Canberra, but you know, hopefully I'll be moving to Sydney and be able to train from up here and play for Canberra for a weekend. Mm. And just that position you played in the national team, I was just talk, talking to you at the airport about how you, you're now a midfield defensive screener from being a fullback. I mean, yeah. you just I think you took your game to another level. And tell us about playing in the centre of the park. Um, I love it. I played it as a kid growing up and I just like being involved and I'm not sure if it's got anything to do with just sort of, you know, you, you just in the game the whole entire mm. time I guess you are in any position but as a midfielder you you know you just you just run 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 yeah. um, and I guess I've always Tommy's put me wherever he wants basically and I've always been that kind of versatile player and I I, I enjoy it and if if it means I'm going to be a midfielder for the rest of my life or a defender, I, I actually don't mind. Yeah. yeah, you're the Vinnie Greller of the Matildas without the bad tackling. Two footed lunges. Sal obviously qualified for the World Cup through the Asian Cup as well. Was that difficult? Because that was probably you know a, a, as important a goal, maybe even as winning it, was to be at the World Cup. Yeah. Um, was it difficult once you got that in the bag to then raise yourself again and go right? That's not enough. Let's Let's raise because it must have just been such a relief to know that you were there again. Yeah, um, we all experienced that sense of relief when we were in the group stages, and so we played Vietnam first, and then the girls managed to, you know, have a, have a great victory against South Korea, and that basically meant we were through to the set to the semis and the final, and you know we only win we only needed to win one more game, and that was such a relief in that we could go out against. We played in the final round, China, and we didn't necessarily have to win. Mm. And that sort of feeling of relief was then again experienced after we beat Japan and yeah. that we qualified for the World Cup. Mm. We got home and, you know, we'd, we'd, we'd had recovery and the following day we had off and whatnot. And I guess you sort of tried to switch off from football after that, you know, game against Japan. I mean, we'd qualified for the World Cup and that's what we'd gone to China to do. And, I don't know, we were just all sort of sitting around and, you know, why why not win the Asian Cup too? Like, I mean, you know, you've gone there with two goals and why not sort of conquer both? Yeah. yeah. And looking forward to the World Cup, I mean, do you think, I mean, where, do you, where would you rate? So, obviously, the, the, um, the 2007 experience there, you know, unlucky to go out in a lot of ways against Brazil, showed fantastic character. Um, Different team, very different team. A lot of the young girls will be a year older as well. Do you think you can go there and cause a few surprises again? Um, absolutely. I mean, um, we can always anticipate and you know hope that that'll sort of be the outcome. But you know, the next year will be a fantastic sort of building block for all of us, and I'm sure we'll have many opportunities to be travelling overseas and um, getting that competition that we need in order to be you know ready for the World Cup next year and. 
we're all, you know, hanging out for it and, yeah, can't wait to sort of create some history of our own. Cool. What was incredible was that you, you played the final with five, without five players who were the stars of the last World Cup. Cheryl, Di Alagic, Joe Peters, Lisa Devanna and Sarah Walsh. It says a lot about this development. Yeah, um, I had a conversation with Tommy actually after we were sort of just wandering to a hotel for a dinner and um, it was pretty special to hear the words come from his mouth that he has never ever experienced something like it and that would be his biggest achievement Mm -hmm. in his whole entire coaching career in that he's gotten us to the World Cup and he, he sort of said that, you know, in 2007 he felt the team was ready whereas this time round... You know, we're all so young and it's such a new group. And, um, yeah, I guess, you know, surprised Tommy at the same time as surprising the rest of us. So, um, yeah, and like you said, we were lacking some of our stronger players and Lisa Devana and Sarah Walsh. I mean, that was a massive loss to our team. And But I suppose we just sort of, you know, accepted the fact that that was it and, you know, looked to our... looked to the rest of the team. So, mm. yeah. Well, that's great stuff. Thanks very much for, for some great insight. Andy's actually uh, drinking beer out the Asian Cup as we're talking. He's trying to down a bit it early for that. Uh, but join us after the break as we've got a lot more news to get through, including uh, Socceroos' victory against Denmark. And we're going to have a look at Group G in the World Cup. So uh, we'll see you very soon. 442's Ultimate World Cup Pack is on sale now. And it's our biggest and best value pack yet, with two magazines including a complete guide to the World Cup, Giant Wall Chart, Socceroos DVD, official World Cup Panini sticker book plus a pack of stickers to start your collection. It's all you need to warm up for the World Cup. If it's in the game it's in 442. On sale now. As an official partner of FIFA Sony has opened 3D pavilions at FIFA FanFest sites in 7 countries across the globe. Starting at Nelson Mandela Square Johannesburg 6 more FIFA FanFest sites are located in Berlin, Mexico City, Paris Rio de Janeiro, Rome and Sydney. In addition to showcasing a host of Sony Entertainment for the first time football fans will be able to experience the 3D world created by Sony when they watch highlights of the 2010 FIFA World Cup in 3D. The 442 Insider, brought to you in association with Rebel Sport, your football destination. Welcome back to the 442 Insider podcast. And now we're going to have a look at some of the uh, biggest news stories from our website, au.442.com. And obviously, uh, after the big Asian Cup success, <laughs> the other big news story was uh, Socceroos' 1-0 victory over Denmark. Um, I don't really remember much about it, to be honest, <laughs> do you? It was my leaving do. And uh, I had the beer goggles on. Everyone looked about 10 foot. Josh Kennedy looked about 15 foot. It was on the big screen at Star City. Yeah. So. Um, but Andy, tell me about the game. Cause well, I, I was remember. there too. <laughs> I don't remember um, anything about it. Yeah, it wasn't a lot to remember about it, I don't think. It was yeah. a bit of an odd goal as well. A bit of a scramble, spin on the ball. Good yeah. opportunist strike though, didn't he? Yeah, he, no, he did. I mean, he found, he found the ball in the air when usually you see the guys spinning round and they don't catch it, but at least he, uh, he saw where it was, wasn't he? Yeah, but I, I think we know what we're going to get with the Socceroos. I don't think we're going to get you know any sort of free-flowing, open, expansive football. It's going to be tight, it's going to be compact, and they're going to play you know, to to score with opportunist strikes or Cahill getting on or around Josh Kennedy. You know, mm. So it seems increasingly likely that Kennedy will start against Germany 
because Harry doesn't look like he's going to be fit and, and Pim's already talked about using him as an impact player off the bench um, so that was yeah, it was good that he got that full game obviously the USA coming up at the weekend will be another test um, yeah so but he keeps winning mm. Yeah, no one's going to moan about it. <laughs> if they win one 0 against Germany, who cares how pretty? Absolutely, yeah, exactly. and, and that's exactly it, isn't it, Aidan? When all's said and done, a one 0 win against Denmark, who um, turned over Portugal in the group, didn't lose to Portugal in two games. It's all you can ask for in the end, mm. isn't it? Look, I've been around long enough in Australian football to know that we, for many years, would would lose heroically many games, one 0 or two one. These days, we now know how to win. We don't do it very prettily, but we know how to win these days. So that's the big difference for me, is that we've become very pragmatic. We used to be one of those teams that was really great, but just could never really win. But uh, that's a big difference. We'll be effective. We won't be good to watch, but we'll be effective. Still could get through the group. They will say a sign of a good side, side that yeah. can win when they're not playing. With, and also I thought it was best. interesting that they played what appeared to be in the back of farms somewhere. Yeah, like there was a quarry in the background. Yes, and, and a nice little stream. And yeah, uh... it looked like an effluence overflow. Thing, yeah, it, interesting yeah. location. But did you see the three people who were sitting on the other side of the grass? <laughs> I was trying to work out who they were. How did they manage they to get the They were it went into the water. <laughs> they were they the, had to swim out and get it. They had a big net to, to get <laughs> the javelani out. But then they couldn't get the javelani because it was too light. And yeah. it wouldn't float properly, apparently. So, um, but one of Pim Verbeek's came out after the game and said that the team had struggled playing in in the altitude of where they were playing. And and Sally, it, it's probably something that um, as as a fan, when you're watching on the TV, uh, those kind of factors just don't really come across. You've obviously played in in some difficult conditions, including the final with the rain, and you talked about your boots being heavy. They're things that fans. Would, would never know and, and don't know and, and when Pim talks about the altitude it's obviously something that the, all these factors that people don't know just play into it don't they yeah absolutely I mean there's so many things that determine you know whether or not you're feeling alright to be playing out there and and whatnot. and I guess full credit to the guys in that they did get the result I mean yeah like Aiden said it wasn't pretty but um, mm. you, you've gone out there to do a job and that's what they've done I mean they're all injury free in order to sort of head into the World Cup itself, but um, speaking of the altitude, I mean, have they have they mentioned that the is the the ball and the flight of the ball is affected by the altitude? Yeah, isn't it? yeah, it's quicker yeah. apparently. It's like five percent quicker. <laughs> yeah. So the air's a bit thinner. So some yeah. boffins have done. So I read something where they were talking about like a, a ninety-seven mile an hour David Beckham free kick would be 104 miles an hour which is, <laughs> which is the difference between like yeah. sort of a goalkeeper's reaction time yeah, it makes absolutely. it sometimes difficult but we'll be reporting on the effects of altitude on our drinking ability yeah. definitely. As, of, <laughs> as of next Saturday when we land in Johannesburg definitely, definitely. apparently we won't walk straight apparently we we, we, we should actually we move about in can the air we, we should blame that on the we should actually yeah. film ourselves drinking at sea level <laughs> yeah. in Bondi <laughs> And then we caught next weekend from Johannesburg to see whether it yeah. has any effect on our performance. We, we could do limericks. We could read out Socceroo limericks. Does the beer get to, your ha- get to your mouth quicker through the air? 4% faster. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> there was obviously talk about the World Cup ball and, and uh, its effect on altitude. And a lot of players have come out and uh, said that they don't like it. And it looks like it's uh, uh, bought in a supermarket and, and it's been slated. Um, I think even Tim Cahill was saying that it's a, it, it's a little bit hard to, to deal with. He's an Adidas boy, but um, 
It's, it's the same ball for both teams, isn't it? But well, it is. It's very plastic. We've got it here. Sally's having a look at it now. I mean, it is... The first thing that struck me was when, it, when we first got it, I didn't know whether we'd been sent the replica or the actual one, but that is the actual one. And it's, it's got this coating over it that you can imagine playing on a slightly damp surface would cause the ball to, to fizz all over the place. Mm. And, um, and then you throw in altitude, which you know, does some weird things with the ball. Remember the Mexico World Cup, yeah. 86, it was, all, it was all the talk then of how the balls were flying faster and you know, higher and people were struggling to get it on target from free kicks. And so it all comes around. But at the end, as you say, at the end of the day, they'll, they'll start getting used to it. Um, the, the, you know, Adidas are right in a, in a way that they've been playing with that ball for six months in competitive matches. The Bundesliga have been using it with no problems. Yeah. So it is the effect of altitude that is doing things. And they'll get used to that over the next two weeks while they're, while they're training with yeah. it. Yeah. And, and Sally, you said that the Nike ball's just as, uh, as you said, a striker's ball just as much, isn't it? Because that's what you played with in the, in the Asian Cup. Yeah. Um, Bubsy made a point before we left the country in that, um, I mean, it's always exciting when you get new balls to sort of kick around. <laughs> <laughs> you still get excited like that. Yeah, that's great. That's great. And I always question as to why or, or how we get so excited about kicking a piece of leather. <laughs> um, but yeah, she made a point before we left in that the ball itself is a striker's ball. Mm-hmm. In that, you know, she's speaking as a goalkeeper, obviously, but... Um, yeah, I guess, I don't know, do they want more goals to be scored by introducing, you know, these sort of... They're, they're, like, they're so advanced, yeah, aren't they? I mean, yeah. even to the to the detail of the... Um, what did you, the what dimples did you call it? Yeah, the dimples on it, yeah. It's incredible. It has to be between a certain weight. I think it's, off the top of my head, 41 grams to 45 grams. Oh, yeah, off the top of your head. to weigh. And so it's not like... It can't be lighter than any other ball it's the same weight mm. as any other ball yeah. you know it's just the way it behaves and it, you know Adidas claim that it's round the roundest ball ever I'm not sure what that means but mm. <laughs> yeah. also, yeah. they all look pretty round to me <laughs> yeah it's convenient as well if you've, if you've played a really dodgy ball it's way Oh, yeah. that was the ball. I went yeah. to head it and it just yeah. it didn't hit my head. <laughs> it's always somebody else's fault. Every shot, every shot in the World Cup is actually going to go in and then all the ones that miss are because of the ball. I reckon, <laughs> I reckon that's what they're going to say. So, uh, um, But obviously one of the uh, other big stories was uh, Pim Verbeek's culling of the uh, final squad down to the 23. Late and, culling. Um, yeah, it certainly was. And uh, uh, some of the guys who were unlucky enough to, to not go were Shane Lowry, Tommy Orr, James Holland and, and Eugene Galakovic. He sort of knew he wasn't going to go if there wasn't an injury. But the, the biggest news was uh, Reese Williams not making the squad and, and Pim's come out and uh, actually criticised uh, Middlesbrough and uh, their boss Gordon Strachan for uh, playing a young player when he was injured and giving him injections. Uh, and unsurprisingly, it took small ginger short ginger Scotsman Gordon Strachan precisely six and a half minutes to fire back mm. in the English press yeah for yeah. doesn't know what he's talking about so. it's, it's a hard one isn't it because uh, you know the, the player's involved the player wants to play if the, if the borough training staff are saying you can play on an injection then you, there's a lot more involved in this isn't there isn't this the same club that uh, when Steve McLaren had Viduka that the assistant coach had him doing uh, sprints uh, for like two hours on his dodgy hamstring and, uh, and everyone knows Mark Viduka doesn't do sprints. No, yeah. And McLaren found out and went absolutely 
berserk at the assistant coach for doing that. So maybe this club has form and that sort of thing. I don't know whether you've seen Sally seen Reese Williams play, but I think he's a terrific player. Uh, he's, he's going to be part of our defence for the next four eight years. Yeah, well, I think what I mean what for Beat saying was that he couldn't. You know, Williams couldn't commit fully in training, mm. and therefore, you know, he was just holding back because of this injury. I think the big thing is, is that Pimper Bates come out and said that Reese Williams was getting injections before every game, and the new uh, Middlesbrough staff have come out and said that that's rubbish. He had two injections during the whole season, and they would never inject a player every game to play. And, mm. you know, he's, he's their player, he's their asset. You've got mm. to think that they're, they're not going to do anything that would long term jeopardise him, you know. So, so yeah, I, I was a bit surprised at that, that he came out so blatantly and blamed because I don't think there's anything to be gained other than it creates a really bad situation for, for Reese Williams to go back in. Yeah, he's not only missed absolutely. out of the World Cup, he's yeah. now got to go back. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's hardly endeared himself to being, for Middlesbrough to be, mm. you know, accommodating when he wants to come back for international duty. Because mm. as you say, you know, he could be in the centre of the defence for the next absolutely. 10 years. You know? Absolutely. Mm. Another uh, news story is uh, the, the hunt for the new Socceroos coach after Pimverbeek leaves, after the World Cup, and a few people have been mentioned, and after uh, Bruce Willis and the Blue Wiggle have both ruled themselves <laughs> out, um, Rude Hullet uh, said that he's interested uh, in the job. Um, for the love of God, And no. uh, the quote is, of course I would consider coaching in Australia. It's very nice there. Uh, I love Australia. I've been to Sydney. Uh, what I like about Australia is the people are very sport-minded, very much. They love it. Uh, that wasn't a, a, an audio clip of Rude. That was me, just in case. People, really? Yeah. Okay. In case people weren't sure. What do we think, Rude Hillett? Uh, I don't think so. He's got no international experience as a manager. He's got no experience of Asia. He's got a very, very average track record as a coach. You know, and I can't bear shetchy football being <laughs> peddled out like ten times a day. Yeah. I don't think so. I think there's much better candidates out there. You've got your ear to the ground, Aidan. Is there any uh, any truth in it, other than the fact that he said he liked it? Do you think it's a, it's a viable? What he said was hardly anything other than what most coaches would say. Yeah, sure. I think I saw Sally at the LA Galaxy game a few years ago. You were in the in the stands <laughs> watching David Beckham, and they got beat that day by Sydney FC, coached by Rude Hullet yeah. in his mm. first ever game for LA Galaxy. Uh, no. No, not even close. No, he, yeah, he left. He left. Uh, I remember reading when he when he left Galaxy. You know, he was saying that he, he couldn't get his head around working in a market where football wasn't number one and their weird setup there and the fact that all the players are paid by the league and not by the clubs and there's a whole draft sort of allocation system. And I just think yeah, he's coming to another market where football's got a very yeah. weird place in it. Yeah. And yeah, I don't, I don't think so. Yeah. yeah, I think you blamed the Jabalani as well. So I think there so. you go. It's all to blame. So. Global financial crisis as well. Apparently, yeah. he can't. He's, a, he's, he was, he's a great pundit, but uh, yeah, but coach maybe not. Well, look, that's all the time we've got for in this segment when we were looking at the news from our website au.442.com. Join us after the break as we will be looking at Group G in the World Cup. Apparently there's a World Cup going on yeah. as well. So uh, we'll have a look at the uh, Group of Death trademark. It's time. Time to catch up with my world. Time to catch the final score. Time to read my team's tweets to see who's in. Time to see your social universe from one screen with Timescape. Only on the new Xperia X10 from Sony Ericsson. Go! 
Love to support your favourite soccer team on and off the pitch? Well, listen up, because whether you follow Manchester United or Melbourne Victory, Rebel Sports got all the gear you need. Now you can grab your team colours and wear them with pride with Rebel's massive English Premier League and A-League jersey sale. Grab selected men's jerseys from just $99.99. That's a saving of up to $40. Show your pride on and off the pitch this year. Hurry into Rebel Sport or shop online at rebelsport.com.au and get yourself a bargain before stocks run out. As one of the world's leading entertainment providers, Sony has launched the first ever global 3D experience of the FIFA World Cup. Football fans from around the globe can now get even closer to the action. It's time to get your game on. The 442 Insider, brought to you in association with Rebel Sport, your football destination. Back to the 442 Insider Podcast, and we're into the last section now, and we're going to have a look at the World Cup. Group G, where uh, the teams are Brazil, North Korea, Ivory Coast, and Portugal. Um, group of death, really, isn't it? It's always one. This is the real group of death. Is it the real group of death, Andy? This is, is it? <laughs> yeah. I suppose it could have been worse. There could have been a better side in it than North Korea, then it would have truly been the group of double death. Double death. Yeah, I mean, you've got to say it's going to be a toss-up between Portugal and Ivory Coast. One of those teams is going to be going out in the mm. group stages, which is uh, which is a shock because both of those teams could could do damage in the in the knockout stages, whoever they come up against. Definitely. Now, Brazil aren't really the Brazil that we all know and love. You know, we all think of the 1982 and the 1970 teams that uh, captured the imagination, but they have a bit more steel and a bit more defensive nous with Dunga as their coach. Aiden, you know, does that make them more dangerous or uh, less of a favourite to, to th- lift the trophy? I think essentially this World Cup is, is going to be for European teams, I think with the conditions. Mm. So I think it probably suits them to play that way in South Africa, whether or not that they're going to be able to then get across a, a Spain or even in England. I'm not sure. But these guys, I mean, these guys all play in Europe now anyway. Yeah. Mm. You know, I, th- I think that's... You know, with the sort of globalisation of football, you, we've, you don't see the contrasting styles of play at a World Cup like you used to. I, mean, I can remember when Cameroon got to the quarterfinals in 1990, and none of their players, no one knew any of their players. They, they came and just played this completely different style of football with very little structure to it that teams couldn't cope with. Whereas now, all the big African players play in the Premier League, and so when you get to a World Cup, you've got you know, defenders, attackers that all play against each other week in, week out in the Champions mm-hmm. League. So therefore that contrast in styles it gets evened out because they're they're all playing against each other so often. Yeah. yeah. Um, but Dunga certainly is not the most popular coach in Brazil. Um and he's you know, he's under pressure to win that tournament because he's, you know, obviously left players out, like Ronaldinho and Pato and mm. um and so he's he you know, if any that's the pressure to go on he's going to the World Cup knowing that Anything other than winning it is going to be seen as failure because he's taken the stand that he has and he's playing a football that you know a, a brand of football that a lot of people don't want to see the Brazil team play. Yeah, and I guess in two thousand and two, I mean they're under huge pressure. They virtually didn't even qualify for two thousand and two. They only just squeaked in, so mm. they were under a lot of pressure then, and they won it. So maybe that's going to work in their favour. Yeah, yeah. Now Portugal were another uh, big side in the group, and obviously 
They look a little bit light after Cristiano Ronaldo. Maybe Nani's uh, come into the fore. Um, Sally, I wanted to ask you that you've probably played against teams where there's been a star player who's probably head and shoulders above the rest. And maybe that was Brazil with, say, Marta when, when she was there. Um, what's it like when you play a team that has someone who is the, the danger person that everyone knows is the one that you've got to look for? What's the kind of game plan? Do, is there a specific way you do it or you, you, you attack a team like that? The immediate example that comes to mind is um, our latest game against Japan in that Sawa is a lethal player and she's been around for a long time and she's probably getting to the point where she's a bit older and, and whatnot. And, but, you know, we, we had our game plan, which we d- you don't necessarily want to change for one particular player. Mm-hmm. But it did mean, you know, someone actually sort of had to, you know, keep a special eye on her. And it was Claire Polkinghorne in this case, the poor thing. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, So, you know, during the the training sessions leading up to the match, you're, you know, I guess without changing your game, you've got to be more aware of players like that. And I don't know, it... And if they can be taken care of, then it could change the match. So that, that role is very important. And, you know, in this particular game, Claire did a great job and mm. that she did sort of, you know, mark her when they had the ball and whenever they didn't, she sort of had to get away from her again. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you're a full-back playing against Portugal, you'd, you'd be inhuman if you didn't spend the night before running through your head. <laughs> right, what are we going to do if it goes that way? What are we do if it goes that way? <laughs> He does that little step oh, over yeah. there. Oh, no. I don't um, I'll just kick him. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Uh, do, do we think, Aidan, do you think Portugal's got much of a chance? I mean, after Ronaldo, there's, they haven't got that quality of, say, that golden generation of maybe six, seven years ago uh, when Figo was doing it. Yeah, I think uh, it's always a bit difficult when you've got one player, like you're saying, who you rely on to change games because if they have a bad game or they get, like, Polk's marked out of the game effectively then you know, you're looking at different options. So I, I've, I've never really felt Portugal were going to go through in this group. I always thought it was going to be Ivory Coast. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I just got that feeling that uh, it's not, a, it's not a, a team that... OK, if Ronaldo plays absolutely brilliantly, they might just get through. But it's, it's got to be that. I just don't see a lot of depth, as you say, with Nani and then Cavalier maybe. Well, he didn't play much in qualifying and they struggled. Yeah. I mean, they, yeah. needed, they needed to get through on the playoffs. But, you know, they've got quality there, you know, like Deco and, and Simao and people like that. But it, they just, I don't know, they've, they've always seemed to struggle from that period, that sort of Euro 2000 time when mm. they had that, yeah. that great side with Rui Costa and people like that. They, they seem to struggle to have that sort of team unity. And I think... You know, that's a recurring theme with a lot of teams that Christian Arno Ronaldo is part of. You know, mm, yeah. is you know, is he playing for the team or is he playing for himself? Um, so yeah, so that'd be interesting. But Ivory Coast don't tend seem to have that big bill in every tournament they go in and haven't really lived up to it at any of them yet. So mm. be, um, maybe this will be the time. Yeah, yeah, and they're not really like dark horses of the tournament now, are they? They've they've become established. People know players from from their team. Um, Didier Drogba obviously is going to be mm. the main guy. Um, they're going to challenge Portugal for that final spot, for that yeah. second spot, we think, yeah. if uh, Brazil are going to... Yeah, so I mean, it's a massive game that, that we'll be at, yeah. which is the Brazil Ivory Coast at Soccer City, which will be a mm. hell of an occasion. Yeah. Definitely. And the, uh, the vice president of the North Korean FA has stated that they will win the World Cup. <laughs> Even <laughs> Simon, our producer, of, who knows nothing about That just reminds me of that Iraqi <laughs> PR guy. 
that Iraqi Piago was in that comical alley that would come out at the end of every battle, so it was a glorious victory. You know? Yeah. His sort of buildings collapsing behind him. Sally, do you think DPR Curie could win the World Cup in uh, South Africa? Oh, look, I think any team can. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's the thing about not showing? We were talking about not showing games which they don't win, so yeah. I don't think the, the North Korean public is going to be seeing much of the World Cup. They'll even know that there's a World Cup going on. Yeah. Um, where do we think that the, the, the group is going to be decided? I, I'm looking at the uh, schedule, and it's, all, I think, the first game. Uh, Ivory Coast against Portugal. They face each other in the in the first game of the group, and that could be the one that decides it. But you know, you said Brazil, Ivory Coast, and well, it uh, changes things because you, you look at that and you think that if the Ivory Coast get beat in that game, then that means that they have to get a result against Brazil. So mm. that could tee up that game as as a as a monster game because that could be Ivory Coast fighting for their lives. So, um, but yeah, you'd say so. Whoever get whoever wins that game. Would put themselves in pole position to get that second place at least. So. It put you on the spot, Sally. Who do you think is going to come out of this group? Um, I don't know. Yeah, like I mean, that first game will be a great sort of contest, and you know, I um, I would lean towards Brazil and Portugal. Okay. Yeah. Fair stuff, that's great. Well, look, that's all we've got time for in this edition of the Four Four Two Insiders podcast. Very special event and version of the podcast thank you so much sally for coming in and uh thanks for having telling me us guys. About it and bringing the trophy in i think we managed to wash the beer out now and uh, uh, it, it went five percent faster in the silver um <laughs> that he was using uh join us next week as we won't have any special guests probably just trevor talking about stats the stat rat will be back <laughs> and uh, we'll probably have lots more news uh, about the world of football so join us then 442 Insider is a Helms Media Solutions production visit helms.com.au to find out more about our services